This is Loose Leaf, a multi-author podcast journal where we talk about goals, the ups and downs of writing, and where we try to warn you off of our greatest pitfalls. Welcome back to Loose Leaf Author Podcast. Hillary and Kale could not be with us this week, and I'm excited to have Scott Kuhn with us. He is the author of Lost Helix, his debut novel that just came out in June 2020. Would you like to introduce yourself, Scott? Hello, my name is Scott Kuhn. Uh, as you stated, I, my debut novel, Lost Helix, it just came out in June. It's a YA uh, science fiction adventure story that where you follow DJ across the void as he tries to find his missing father and the mother he never knew while being chased by uh, corporate agents. I've been writing uh, basically my entire life and I first got published in, I think it was 2006 in Nth Degree Magazine. Firewall was my first short story and I've had over a dozen short stories published since then. I've won some accolades along the way and this is my first novel. Excellent. Well, congratulations on it. I know that's a a big milestone for a lot of us writers to have that first novel finished. Thank Thank you very much. I know you also have a YouTube station where you talk with writers and uh, do you want to tell us some about that? Yes. Uh, my YouTube station is mostly dedicated at the moment to uh, Lost Helix. It's got uh, several things that inspired Lost Helix, uh, such as the variety of um, space travel, translates space travel that you can find in the world. And that's actually an important part of my story. Uh, and then, you know, other things uh, besides uh, Lost Helix, I've been doing reads of my short stories. And I've also had Alex Kane, a popular stand-up comedian, did the uh, reading of Trademark, A Tragedy, which is very <laughs> much a comedy. <laughs> and in addition to that, I've also started doing um, some writing advice. And it's more, so far, it's, uh, I've done one for log lines, which is all the most difficult two or three sentences you'll ever write in your life. It's... You've just written 100,000 words. Sum it up in 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, but the direction I'm taking recently with that is I, I'm going, I started writing basically science for writers, for sci-fi writers. And the first one I have out there is planet building, which is very different from world building. The yes. George R. R. Martin did a great job of planet building by throwing everything out of whack by having the moon destroyed. So great job to him. Everybody yes. else, try creating something other than Earth. Trust me, there's a lot <laughs> you can do out there. Agreed. Well, and Earth is so unique that it would probably be more realistic if it wasn't like Earth. <laughs> exactly. Earth is a very unusual planet. Well, I'm excited. I actually picked your book up. I'm only about 20 pages in but I'm really enjoying it. So DJ hasn't left yet. His dad has just come back from uh, wherever he was. And, and so I have a feeling everything's about to explode. So don't, no spoilers, but um, I really am enjoying it so far. Oh, I'm so glad. Something that I noticed when I was purchasing it, you said in your bio on Amazon, you're talking about science fiction and that it's really for you all about the what comes next question. And I love that because science fiction is about asking questions. And I love, why don't you share with our listeners what you meant by what comes next? 
with this well, story. Well, what comes next? <laughs> well, what comes next to me is, uh, oh, well, a lot of science fiction writers do this thing. Well, what happens after that thing? It's like uh, terraforming. There's all this work done about terraforming. Aliens, uh, the second alien movie, actually is centered around a planet that's in the middle of terraforming. Um, Leviathan Wakes is about terraforming too, terraforming Mars gradually. So is uh, Total Recall. Um, but nobody ever talks about like, well, okay, so we get way out into deep space and you terraform a planet and now it's totally ready, then what? Well, there's a government involved. Somebody's paid a lot of money and put a lot of effort into terraforming this planet. They're not just gonna say, okay, it's open, there you go, have fun. No, they're gonna organize this. So I actually have a big bureaucracy that is like a backdrop to part of the story. You haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> okay. But yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it's the, uh, well, you've heard about it, it's called New Green. That's the terraforming place. Okay. So yeah, and then there's also things like, um, also in Leviathan Wakes, uh, a multi-generational interstellar ship. So you get, you're going to be born on this ship, you're going to die on this ship, and one of your descendants is going to land at the other end. Well, that's all very interesting. And there's a lot of untold stories in there. Right. But one story that never, that I don't think anybody's ever thought about is like, okay, so you get all the way to the other side, you unload everybody onto the planet, you strip the, the, the machine for parts, but you still got this big thing up in orbit you probably didn't take all the parts. What are you going to do with that? So I actually have them float the dome ships that populated Stone River floating around out there doing things. That's awesome. They're, yeah, specifically, and this isn't a spoiler at all, really, and it's actually on the cover of the book. Uh, <laughs> they're feeding the farmers, the, the miners, the people that are mining Stone River are now being fed by what used to be a city. The city's gone, and they filled it with dirt. Wow. And and it's actually a lot more interesting in there once you get inside those domes. It's a lot more complicated than one would think. It's more than just farmland. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to get to, to that point. I have some very basic questions, but at any time, if there's anything else you feel like sharing and talking about, just jump right in, okay? Sure. So you said you've been writing for many years. You started with short stories. What kind of got you interested in writing to begin with? You know what? That is literally a mystery. I have no <laughs> clue. Uh, there were no writers around me. There was an artist, there was a musician, no writers. And for some reason in the third grade, I spontaneously started writing poetry. Most of the poetry centered around Norse mythology, but I know what, where that came from because I was reading Thor comics. <laughs> and that one thing led to another and I'm writing Norse mythology poetry That's cool. but but why poetry i have no idea i really the only poem that i know of that was in my life back then was twas the night before christmas so it, it's a mystery left lost to time <laughs> yeah but hey that's a great place to start because i actually think poetry for me anyway is way harder than writing a novel <laughs> it's oh, got yeah. a lot of structure that i don't deal well with so wow third grade that's amazing <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, some of my books, uh, Lost Helix does not have a poem in it, but some of the books I'm working on right now actually have poems in there that are a part of the story. Like, it, cool. and one, one's a uh, um, mystery thriller where a poem's actually a part of the clue. 
is a clue to what's going on in the whole thing. And See, I, that's awesome. Red wrote in my life and it was purposely bad. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote the poem purpose, purposely bad? Yes, I, I wrote it as bad as I could with, with it still qualifying as a poem. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Bad, so was bad at this, so I, I had to make it bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, see, I could do that. I wouldn't have to try to make it bad. So, <laughs> so do you have any particular books or authors that really inspired you in your writing? I mean, I guess kind of the other side of that is why choose science fiction? Well, uh, when I first started out, uh, I actually sat down when I was 21 years old in a library and made a conscious decision based on advice that I received in the forward of a Pierce Anthony book. I got a lot of good advice from Pierce <laughs> Anthony. Wrote some really good writing advice in there. Like uh, you need to write three novels and throw them away. And I wrote more than three novels and threw them away. So I'm, I'm ahead of the game on that. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut is my all time favorite author. I think his writing is amazing. And I don't think I could ever do some of the things that he can do in writing where he jumps through time, but you don't feel like you're jumping through time. You feel like right. you're in the story in a very linear way. And I think that's just astounding that he was able to do that. His best book is his least science fiction book, which is Hocus Pocus, which has an amazing science fiction story hidden inside it. But uh, the story itself is not science fiction at all. Um, Cat's Cradle with Ice Nine is an amazing story. Uh, Player uh, play Piano, I actually have a story idea that I'm planning to write at some point soon uh, that's kind of a homage to that or kind of a counter that book actually. And Galapagos. Galapagos was a truly amazing book where uh, I won't give it away how that goes, but you should definitely <laughs> hurt Vonnegut. Cool. I could definitely do that. And so that's, is that kind of what directed you towards science fiction after poetry or, or did your poetry have sci-fi vibes through it? I mean, you, you mentioned North mythology. So. Own kind of science fiction because fantasy is kind of its own science fiction. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of what pulled me in the direction of uh, science fiction over fantasy was that I've, at the time I felt like there was a, a larger world that you could do more, more directions you could go with science fiction than fantasy. But that was because back then I had a much more narrow view of what fantasy could be because I thought, oh, well, fantasy is writing in Tolkien's world and using Tolkien's uh, people and so forth. And that is so wrong. You can do so much more with fantasy than that. Uh, and I plan to write a book that's a mix of fantasy and sci-fi in the future. So, yeah. uh, plus I really loved Asimov and iRobot is an amazing series of short stories compiled into a single uh, novel, kind of. It kind of forms yeah. its own story when you put them all together. And nobody has written, has done a good movie or uh, mini yet and I'm waiting for it so somebody please do that for me go, go. <laughs> and do it right <laughs> yeah. do the actual stories do the stories for my robot yeah yeah not their Hollywood version of it yeah not not something that's yeah we'll work within that confines but make a whole new <laughs> that story it's a good story yeah let's let's back up a little bit and talk about some of your history 
um, because I know it plays a part in the, probably the way you write, especially, um, especially Lost Helix. You were an army intelligence analyst and later a computer programmer. So how did that, you know, what can you talk about of how those experiences come into your writing? Well, let's start with the computer programmer side <laughs> of that. Uh, a lot, one thing that I find really annoying about computers today is the diversity. We do not need diversity in computer languages. We need one language. And that's, and somebody actually complained to me. It's like, Hey, Kurt, the uh, uh, DJ seems to be able to hack into every system. Yeah. Cause they're all working on the same operating system. We've gotten it down to one operating system. <laughs> and now it's just a matter of knowing your way past all the variety of security around that operating system. <clears throat> So, you know, when I actually, when I'm, I also tried to write his uh, computer battles in a way that was realistic to computers and also at the same time, not boring to the audience. Because if you actually watch a computer battle, you'd be bored out of your mind. <laughs> uh, and if you watch a computer battle on, say, sneakers or, um, Oh, yeah, I think it was Sneakers. That was a great movie, but also they just did a really bad job. Most of the time when they do a computer battle in a movie, it's like, oh, look at all these cute little graphics flying around. Nobody's using graphics. It's all just code and it's all just numbers and letters and esoteric stuff flying by. Um, but for the uh, U.S. intelligence stuff, uh, I was in the Army intelligence for six years. I rose to the rank of sergeant. Uh, I worked some interesting missions and I'm not going to talk about pretty much anything that I did there. Understandable. And, and I completely understand the inner workings of the intelligence community in a general basic sense. Like this is how you handle classified information, which drives me mad whenever I'm watching a movie, like the opening to Suicide Squad. Oh, let's just walk into a restaurant and whip out a top secret document flop it down on the table. Oh, waiter, bring me some more coffee. Oh, yes. no. <laughs> no. I actually had that job when I was uh, in the Army for a brief period of time, taking classified material to the base commander. And we had to double wrap that sucker and do all this other stuff and put all the proper labels on it, move it to the building across, across the secured military base, unwrap everything inside another secure room and then wrap it all up again and bring it back. So no, don't do that stuff. <laughs> uh, but actually, job title was 98 Charlie, Electronic Warfare Signals Intelligence Analyst. And that's all I'm gonna tell you about my job. <laughs> Other than it's a cool title. Ever, ever, ever write about anything having to do with it. Because I'm- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That is so true. There's so many, I have so many questions here. I'm trying to figure out the ones that I want to ask the most. You mentioned that you purposely wrote this one poem badly because that's what the, what you needed for that story. But have you ever had something that you wrote that you just absolutely hated? You also mentioned three novels you threw away. Was that just because you hated them or because, you know, talk about well, that a little bit. Let's, yeah, it would be those first two novels to tell you the truth. The, the very first one was an Anne Rice knockoff. And it was both good and bad. I mean, like it had good moments, but the overall plot, plot just didn't happen. There was no plot. It was just 
an ambling of events that occurred. Uh, but there was one part where I killed off two characters almost randomly and they were very short-lived characters and had done nothing wrong and one of the members in my class got upset how could you kill them off they did nothing <laughs> that was it i'm a writer now i'm stuck i'm i'm writing i'm gonna write yeah. for the rest of my life that and the novel that came after it which was about uh robots trying to get equal rights amongst man and they end up giving up on the whole deal and just running away to io and starting a their own colony and defending it from us. Oh. Uh, it's a very, very different direction from what I would later see in the Matrix. But uh, yeah, it it did the same thing. It didn't actually have a plot. I mean, like if you looked for it, it kind of had a plot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was just good practice. It, it was basically like there was a perfectly good plot and somebody shoved it down the stairs. <laughs> fell down the stairs screaming and crying and the shambles at the bottom was what I actually wrote. Yeah. <laughs> it was just I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. And, and neither of them actually had a title. I mean, like one, I refer to the first one as my vampire story. And the other one is my robot story. I never <laughs> actually got around to titling them right. Yeah. The love <laughs> just wasn't there. <laughs> No, so no, just sadness. <laughs> yeah. So what's the favorite thing you've ever written? Oh, the favorite thing I've ever written is whatever I'm working on right now, almost every single time. Yeah. And right now I'm working on a novel that I really love a lot. And I still have uh, two and a half chapters that are in outline. And, but at the same time, the way I work is I kind of roll across it in waves so that by the time I get to the end of the first draft, I'm actually on draft five. Oh, cool. And, and while I'm writing this, I also have a writer's group who's reading it. So I'm like charging ahead, trying to, you know, let people know that Lost Helix exists. And I've got a second writing writer group with a different novel that is complete, but I'm charging ahead on this one and trying to make sure that I stay edited and completed. And the working title, I'll give you the working title, is Snuzz. Snuzz is a sneeze that never was. Oh. And the main character, his sneezes, well, there's three main characters, but the main main character, the wizard, his sneezes cause him to teleport. And that's like a really big problem for him. So, <laughs> and it's that actually, sounds awesome. it's, a, it's a key part of the story. <laughs> it's like, what kind of trouble can you get into when you can't control a sneeze? Yes, and it's it's a stigma. It's not a good thing amongst wizards for you to not be able. You sneeze and you just end up somewhere else. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> That's excellent. Will it also be young adult? No. <laughs> it'll be it'll be very very fun, but it also has uh, some. It, it features some whiskey and some uh, snuff, funny snuff. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, so other than that, it's mostly <laughs> yeah, family yeah. friendly. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. But the other one is Balance of Crimson. And that's, that's set on a planet that's just overrun by crime. And the main character is an assassin in a crowdsourced murder world. And he wow. just hates the world that he's living in. It's very, very grim. And then there's a lot of happy cats. So... <laughs> So I balance it with joyful, happy cats, including a, 
a main one important character named Mr. Snuggle Whiskers. So yeah. Mr. Look forward, Snuggle Whiskers. Yes, look forward to those books coming soon, <laughs> I hope. And so is Mr. Snuggle Whiskers with the assassin? Actually he's with uh he's with the assassin's private investigator friend, but yeah, they kinda <laughs> they get along. And Mr. Snuggle Whiskers is actually an important character who who comes in and affects the plot at different times that's awesome that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> so what do you find is the most challenging with your writing oh that is definitely bringing out the emotions that i want to bring out in the characters and i have struggled with that from the beginning of my whole life and the best thing that's ever happened to me was the publishing of the emotions thesaurus yeah. I strongly recommend that if you're going to be a writer and if you're not naturally spitting out like powerful emotional scenes where your characters are showing their emotions to the reader in a way that the reader's already engaged with, go buy that book. Read, read the forward. Always read the forward to something like that. And you learn so much more just from that. And also always read the forward to any novel from any author that you love, if he puts a forward in it, read that forward. It might just be some lit, some silly stuff about this is my life and this is the things <laughs> I do with my time, or it might actually give you some advice, yeah. even if it's just by accident. They they often give you really good advice for writers. That's cool. I like that insight. It's interesting you mentioned the emotions thesaurus. I remember when it was still just their blog before they put it out in print. And I totally agree. I have my print copy and I have shared it with many, many writers groups and said, okay, you really need this. <laughs> and it's, it's wonderful. Oh yeah. My print copy is holding on by dare teeth. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just threads now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great because it gets, it, it gets your mind working along those lines. And, and I've found that now I can just kind of glance at it and then I'm back in that mindset. And it, it just helps you to think of, well, what does this emotion really look like? What would it really feel like? And they put so much work into that. Yes, it's an excellent thing. It's, a, it's an invaluable tool. Our favorite question is, would you say being a writer is a gift or a curse and why? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it is a wonderful, fulfilling, enriching, grueling, taxing, draining activity. And while I'm doing it, I'm thinking, damn, I could just be playing video games right now. I, there wouldn't be any stress. I could be mouthing off to some 13-year-old who just shot me. <laughs> And, and and it would be a lot more, or I could just be watching cartoons. I could put on Phineas and Ferb right now. That'd be awesome. And, and just be relaxing. But at the same time, when I'm like, if it's like early in the day and I'm playing video games or I'm watching Phineas and Ferb or something else, I'm thinking, you know what? You could actually be accomplishing something. You could be doing something that when you're done, you'll be tired and it will have drained your brain. But what you've done has created something. Yeah. And so it's really, it's definitely both. Yes, I agree. I agree. And so far, most writers I've asked that question do agree because you have those wonderful moments where the words are just flowing and the energy is flowing and it's like, this is awesome. 
but then you have those days where you're just like, I like to think of the analogy of, um, or the visual of Harry Potter sitting there with Umbridge's pen and detention writing, I will not tell lies. And it's pulling the, his own blood from his body. I'm like, sometimes <laughs> writing feels like that. I'm just, I will not tell lies. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what do you think has been your toughest criticism so far? Actually, the toughest criticism, and this is based on the fact that I actually had to do something about it, came before Dancing Lemur accepted my novel. And this is going to be a piece of writing advice that I'm going to send out to any other new writers out there. They said, Scott, we got about halfway through your novel. We're enjoying it a lot, but we've already counted eight point of view characters, eight. <laughs> These people don't need a point of view in here. What's going, we're, if you can cut this whole novel down to three point of view characters, we'll take another look at it. So there's like deleted scenes from Lost yeah. Helix and a rewritten scene that's still in there that's very, very different from what it originally was. And I had to go through there and the first decision I had to make was who are gonna be the three main, the three point of view characters. Uh, there's a girl character in there named Maya that you haven't met yet because not yet. that's in their travels and she has a whole scene that's just gone and mm. I had to find a new way to bring that information in through either DJ, Corman, or um, DJ's dad because I decided that those were the three people that you needed to know in order for this story to be told and everything else I had to rewrite this. I think I did a good job with it. They think awesome. I did a good job with it because they published it, of course. So <laughs> <laughs> That's always a plus. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, honestly, the, the book is much better for it. It was a challenge, but, it, but the book is much better for it. Yeah. Haven't you, I don't know about you, but I've always found that sometimes the hardest criticism, when you take a moment to really think about it, and then like you said, put in the work, it does make the story better yes that and everything else that they've had to sell me i've been like bringing forward into my other novels like i have a whole book just sitting off to the sign that's already been through writing groups and it's like oh now i gotta go in there and do all those things i just learned from dancing lemur <laughs> <laughs> and make it readable yes, that's make awesome it better. make it, make much, it better, better. <laughs> yes that's wonderful so i know one of my favorite things is actually working with the editor have you what was your experience like working with your well, editor? Well, I actually, uh, I went through, I hired a professional editor at one point uh, before I found writing groups. Okay. And they did a good job. And if my book had been ready for publication, like had been like one step from publication ready, they would have done a great job for yeah. getting it that last step. But it wasn't one step. It was like 10 steps from publication ready. Uh, so my best editors have actually been writing groups. I know a lot of people have yeah. trouble forming writing groups, especially when you open them up to the public because, you know, it's, you're rolling the dice on who's going to show up. But I <laughs> lucked into a good one. Uh, Writers of Sherman Oaks is the group that I'm with. And it's just, they're wonderful people give me really good advice and they're all giving me different good advice. So that's helped me a lot. Uh, the best editors that are professional editors that I worked with were the ones at Dancing Lemur. And I went through like four or five rounds of editings with them. And uh, almost 
and every single round that I went through, I gave them, I said, yeah, you're right. 90% of the time <laughs> or not or more 90 or yeah. more, you know? And then I, uh, a few times I'm like, nah, you don't understand where I'm going with this. <laughs> so I'm going to stick with what I, with what I meant. And a couple of times on those, it's come back. It's like, no, nah, we understood what you meant. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, you're right. <laughs> so it's, it, writing a book is a really uh, difficult process, and there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. And you're not going to get it right on the first draft by a long, long margin. Uh, and the more drafts that you do, the better it gets until you get to a point where you're just got to stop. <laughs> yeah. So that, that brings up a great question. How do you know when it's time to stop? <sighs> That's the hard part, isn't it? It is the hard <laughs> part. Because sometimes uh, even after you let it go, you're like, oh, I could have. Oh. <laughs> Lost Helix, I stopped and felt I was finished. And I decided that I was going to get it out there. And I went through the various levels of uh, trying to get it published. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to just publish this on my own if nobody wants it. Uh, and I'm so glad that I didn't come to that. Because uh, where I'd stopped, obviously, was not a good place to stop. And Dancing Lemur helped me to make it a much better novel. So, yeah, yeah the stopping is, the place to stop is when somebody or you decide to publish the novel. That's when you stop. Yeah. Never stop before five drafts. If you stop before <laughs> five drafts, you're not done. No, <laughs> Just keep no. going. Do it again. Totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, so we've talked about your hardest criticism. What was the best compliment you've ever been given for your writing? Uh, so far, yeah, it's definitely um, from everybody who has uh, written a review online for, about Lost Helixes. And it's been common to basically all of them. It's that this is an easy, fast read. It's just enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And that's the best compliment because that's the, my first goal. Whatever else might be going on in the story, whatever else might happen in there, first thing I want to do is I want you to enjoy reading this. I want you to have a good time. I want you to say, I loved reading that book. I would read it again. You should read this thing. And, I, and clearly I've accomplished that because they all keep telling me the same thing. This is a good, fun, fast read. You just rip right yeah. through it. Yeah. Well, I've, like I said, I just barely got it this weekend. And I was trying to read some of Damien's book too. I was trying to get ready for these interviews and, and I am really enjoying it. Um, and I'm looking Thank forward you. to, I'm looking forward to reading time <laughs> and getting to finish it. <laughs> I'm like, there's not enough reading in my day. So, so at least now I've got another good novel that I can get through. So I'm excited about that. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> okay. So what do you do when you're not writing? Well, uh, I've already talked about a couple of things. Like I, I watch cartoons. I watch a lot of cartoons. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved cartoons and Saturday morning was like, yeah, yeah. Church was on Sunday, but Saturday morning cartoons was my religion really. And, yeah. and basically the end of my cartoon watching period was noted by soul train. When soul train came on, cartoons were over for the week. <laughs> Time to go outside again. Uh, cartoons have grown up with me. So now we've got like the Venture Brothers were a wonderful cartoon. 
the Simpsons have continued to be a wonderful thing. I'm still, I, I'm watching the Treehouse of Horrors right now. Phineas and Ferb were wonderful and Milo Murphy's Law by the same guys right after. Uh, I also love playing video games. I have a 60 game co console, which was like wow. all the Midway arcade classics. Uh, I got it mostly for Miss Pac-Man, which I wasted so many quarters on. <laughs> Own it. I feel like they should have just given it to me for all the prayers right. I gave them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then I love hiking. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to go fishing. I was an expert at piloting a canoe with three or one person in it. And then I gradually came to realize I really don't like fishing. I don't like catching the fish. I don't like baiting the hook. I don't like cleaning the fish. I don't like any of that stuff. Yeah. I really like nature. I'll just go hiking. So now yeah. I'm a hiker. I, I, I was in the army for six years and they would send us out on field training exercises and it was grueling and, and filthy and disgusting. And then you come back and you take a shower and you never felt cleaner in your life. And now I do that to myself on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Somebody though. I work with told me, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm like, I know it. I don't understand why I keep doing it. I seem to enjoy it. Yeah. But, well, I'm sure there's some beautiful places that that you get to see that way Amazing. that you can't see any other any other way and the only way to see it is actually to go out there and see it with your own eyes uh strange thing i do when it starts when the sun starts going down if i'm hiking alone or camping alone everything stops i just sit there and watch the world change colors for an hour yeah. it's really an amazing sight well we're almost out of time but what advice would you give i know you've already given us some advice for new riders but if there's any one thing that you think is essential that they have in their toolbox at the beginning of their journey, what would that be? Learning. You will always be learning. Learn the art, learn the business, and then assume that everything changed while you weren't looking and then go and learn them all again. <laughs> that is so true. Keep learning. Learn, like, uh, learn what the market is. Uh, once upon a time, half a bookstore would be Westerns. And then one day, apparently people walked into a bookstore and there was no Western section anymore. It just all vanished all at once. Huh. Don't even remember that time. I was reading an article about that. But yeah, that's the kind of seismic changes that happen all the time. So learn what, <clears throat> don't chase fads. Learn like the big trends of what people really want to read. That's excellent advice. Uh, and I love that you said keep learning because it does change so fast. I mean, I think about when I got serious about writing in 2008, it's an entirely different world already in the publishing world. Absolutely. Well, once again, I'm so glad that you've been with us. I'll make sure we have links to Lost Helix in our notes as well as to your YouTube channel. And uh, I hope that we get to hear from you again sometime. We'll be watching for those new books. I, I hope so too. I hope you guys have me back on for my next book and I hope I have yes. a next book very, very soon. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> well, Scott, we like to, uh, we have a little saying that we like to end with and it is keep writing or start writing. 